Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're finishing up Mark chapter 6 and a couple of other little sections. And this is uh, the third message in a little series that I've been doing. And so this will kind of conclude this little time of, of a short series that I'll be doing. And then next week, Enrico will be with us. He'll be speaking next Sunday, I believe it is. And um, we'll, we'll move ahead in that direction. But I would like for us to uh, just, just you stay seated, I think. We'll start out in verse 53 of the chapter 6 of, of Mark and just read down to the end of the chapter. Not very long. And then I want to make some comments also later about what follows after that. Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they had got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there those who were on pallets and those who were sick. And they placed their, uh, the place that they had heard he was. And whenever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplace and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloaks, as many as touched it were being healed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace uh, this morning as we've uh, heard of some of these testimonies, your, your provision, your protection for Canute and uh, the ministry that his, his parents had. And of course, uh, now for Roy, the ministry they've just had in this far-off country, we don't think of too much, but very much connected with Israel in some unsavory ways at time. But we pray for the believers there being threatened and so forth. And now as you look at the Word, we see, we see understanding there that we need, to, we need to look into and a message here as we uh, continue on today and conclude this section, we pray in Christ's name. Christ's name. So we have here now really... Um, I'm entitling this Jesus and the Bread of Life. You won't see that in these verses right here, but we will in a minute. Ministry at Gennesaret. Ministry at Gennesaret. If you remember, of course, what had happened in this little series that Jesus went away with his disciples in the boat, and they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there they met a whole bunch of people, started coming around and following him, and they spent the day teaching them. You saw them like... Uh, like a shepherd seeing sheep that were without a shepherd and he taught them and he loved them and so forth and did lots of miracles, lots of ministry, but they got hungry at the end of the day. The disciples said, let them go, let them go find food. And Jesus said, let's do it a different way. You just go and find some fish and bread. They found fish and bread and he multiplied it over and over and over and literally thousands were fed. 5,000, it says, men were there because the other Gospels also mention women and children. So it's more likely they believe 15,000, 10, 15, maybe even 25,000. Some have guessed. Lots of people there. See, fed them all. The disciples were amazed and the last thing that was left there was 12 baskets, just enough for the 12 disciples. As they looked in those baskets, they were amazed. They could see the writing on the wall that Jesus was saying to them by giving them that food at the end then. So then they got in the boat and they went back. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And uh, while he was there, he could see the boat was uh, floundering. The crowds had gone away. Jesus had told them to leave. And then he came to them in the water also and walked on the water. Peter walked on the water, it says in another gospel. 
and um, got in the boat with him and so forth. So uh, I'm not going to go any farther with that. We'll come back and comment on some of that. It's important that you know that to understand that what's going on here. So, so essentially, after they walked on the water and they got back in the boat and they came to the land, they came now to the land near Capernaum. Bethsaida, house of bread. Is, I mean, um, a house of fish is what that really, really means. It's near, it's near Capernaum, where, where, the, where the headquarters which you can see there on the map where the headquarters of Jesus had been with Peter. And so they didn't stay there very long. We think that it was a very short time. So when we look at the text there, it says they crossed over and they came to this land. They moored the ship, the boat there. And, uh, and then John uses this term, I mean, Mark uses the term immediately, immediately, immediately all the time because he's the, he's the guy that's kind of the newspaper reporter version of the gospel here. And the people started recognizing him, and they started running up to him. And a lot of these people, I think, were the people that had, that had come from where they did the miracles of the feeding of the 5, 10, 15,000, whatever. And some of them were coming. Now, they saw Jesus over there again. And so they, another big crowd in verse 54 now collects here. They ran about the whole country, it says. They, they really were aggressive about this beginning to carry the people there on pallets like little things that kind of like a stokes litter they could carry them there and um, people were sick they were being healed and so forth so there's a welcome committee there as soon as jesus got there he tried to get alone when he went earlier when the feeding of the five thousand happened that didn't work so now when he gets back from that he tried it again and people came again they were where were they were ever wherever jesus was this area was a little more on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, but near Capernaum, and they're sometimes identified as the same place, Gennesaret or Capernaum. And it's kind of a triangular-shaped little piece of area, land there now down next to the seashore with the mountains in the background had kind of receded there. So they literally ran, it says, to see Jesus. He was such a popular person. Remember that feeding of the 5,000 was the largest miracle that had ever been done there, and it involved everybody who was eating the food, not just the 12. And then the 12, when they're in the boat, Jesus comes to them, and there was a miracle there, but it just involved the 12 there. So there was a miracle for the multitude and a miracle for just the private 12. Jesus wanted to teach them, wanted to bring them along. So <clears throat> we find kind of just interesting things going on here. In verse 56, uh, it says, whenever they entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his garment. This tells you the desperation that people had to see and be near Jesus and so forth. And the, touching the fringes of the garment was something that the men had garments, they wore these long garments, and along the bottom of it was a blue fringe, and down that fringe were these little tassels that were there. And they, some of the people, they trusted that this would work so much so they just wanted to touch the fringe of the garment if they could get close enough to do that, you know. And it, it tells you really how desperate some of these people were. But they were cured. People were cured who were already believers, people were cured who weren't believers, people were cured who were just there to find out who Jesus was. Everybody was cured, whoever they were. The fringes of the cloak. 
Um, the power of Christ's miracles is really obvious here, as it was with the feeding of the 15,000. And, of course, it was with the disciples as well, but now it's all the more, it's all the more obvious here because of the imperfect tense of the verb, which means, uh, it means something happens, but there's an ongoing effect of it, ongoing effect, and that's what it's talking about here with all these miracles. It happened, they were healed, but it kept on happening with all the people that were around him. Kind of a, just showing you the, the intensity of this. So Mark closes chapter 6 here now. He closes chapter 6 with Jesus well accepted. This is a good closing of chapter 6. It's a positive closing here. People are being healed. And uh, it was unlike when he had been to his hometown, which was Nazareth. You remember Nazareth was uh, up on the hill in the background a little ways, a few miles away. That was negative because they rejected him there. Very little, very few people were healed there. So the last few days, we've seen major miracles taking place here in this area and from Thousands and thousands of people, as many as three cruise ships would hold, were fed. The disciples saw a miracle in the sea, and now we see lots of miracles here. But now, we're going to close out chapter 6 of Mark, and we're going to say, what happens next? What happens next? Well, what really happens next is not listed in Mark. Mark doesn't tell us, but we know in comparing things that what really takes place is found in John chapter 6. If you want to turn to John chapter 6, we're going to look there because this is an interesting connection between these miracles that we've seen and what we have right here. So after Mark chapter 6, chronologically we come to... John 6, and the bread of life. It's called the discourse of the bread of life. How do we know how these things fall together? Well, by comparing back and forth the two different Gospels. Mark was the first, we believe, the first Gospel written, and, and John probably the last. And so we have some interesting things happening here. See, if this is really what took place, very, it's very fairly certain that it was, we come now to Jesus in that section talking about the bread of life. The bread of life. So it can be helpful to you have your Bibles open to John chapter 6. Is after these things. After these things would have been those things I just described. Um, mainly what took place in Gennesaret, which was the most immediate. So they, they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, it says there, and we have some interesting things taking place here. Uh, it, it tells a little bit about what's already happened. It talks about the walking on the water, which we already know about, so that's how we know this took place immediately after that. And in verse 22, we have the new material that we didn't get in, in the Gospel of Mark here. And uh, Mark shows us, Mark shows us really that Jesus came from Nazareth as a servant, as a servant. Each gospel has its own, its own kind of special focus. So he came from Nazareth, which was a little out-of-the-way village, as a servant. But John shows us that Jesus came from heaven as God. He puts that emphasis on the gospel of John. So when you read the, the key verse in John, 
It says these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and having believed you might have life in his name. So um, we're seeing Jesus now emphasized as being the Son of God here. Why didn't Mark include this discourse? It's a long discourse. It starts in verse 22, and it goes clear down into the around verse 52 or 3, I think it is. It's a long discourse. Why didn't Mark include this? Well, when you read the Gospels, you'll notice that one Gospel writer will leave something out and the other one will pick it up and bring it in there and vice versa. Those kinds of things happen there. Mark was really the newspaper reporter kind of guy and he kept things short. His Gospel is the shortest. It's the first, but it's the shortest. So he leaves out this long discourse here, really. And it wasn't because it was boring. I think this is in the providence of God as a writer inspired by the Holy Spirit. Each one was. And so we can see these are clearly God's word. They've been accepted as part of the canon of, of Scripture from, of course, those early times. So John's now talking about Jesus is God. Jesus is God here. Now I want to stop again. I want to stop just for a moment. I want to stop just for a moment and I want us to look back again to the situation in the boat that we saw in Mark where the disciples were in the boat, they were coming to, they were coming to Capernaum and the weather came, kicked up and there was a storm and Jesus was up on the mountain, he saw the storm and Jesus comes down walking on the water and they get fearful, they're crying out. These are fishermen, these are guys who are sailors. I mean, as far as Jewish sailors are concerned, they were probably the pretty good ones, but it was a small lake and pretty shook up. They were pretty shook up about it. And they see Jesus coming there. And Jesus talks to Peter there. Peter tries to walk on the water. We see that in another gospel. Doesn't work. He sinks. <laughs> and didn't have his life jacket on, so Jesus fishes him out there. And uh, he, uh, he gets back in the boat. And Jesus gets in the boat. And do you remember what Jesus said when he got in the boat with him? That's very important. This is in the Gospel of Mark. I'll just remind you. Uh, it says, immediately, this is back in Mark, he said, he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I. That's the phrase. Take courage, it is I. We, we looked at that last week, and I know many of you commented on that. Do not be afraid. Now, that reminds us of something far more important, farther back in the books of the Old Testament where Moses was, he was out in the wilderness as a young man away from Egypt and uh, he came across a burning bush and the bush burns and doesn't burn up and he gets closer and he hears God's voice. He hears God's voice and God talks to Moses there, if you remember that in Exodus chapter 3 and, and then God uh, says to him, I want you to go and I want you to get the, uh, my people out of Egypt, etc., etc., in general, he was saying those kinds of things. And so, so Moses said, well, whom shall I say is sending me? Whom shall I say? And um, God says, I am who I am. He says, I know them, but what's your name? What's your name? He says, I am who I am. Do you remember that? Creation history is very important here at this point to get that point. So what God was using, what God was saying, he says, I don't have a name and I don't have a place that I come from because I'm eternal. In the Greek, 
And that, of course, the Old Testament's in Hebrew, but in the Greek, it's also there too. Ego, I, me. I am. Ego, I, me. So what God was saying to Moses was that God is sending you. And all the other gods of this world have a creation story. That's really true. The Dennis Prager, he's a Jew. He's a, a, written a commentary about Genesis. I've been reading it. It's interesting. He makes the point that God has no name and all the other gods of the world do have names and God doesn't have any place he came from because he's eternal. But all the other gods have a creation story too. That's the one thing that sets a God of the Bible apart from all the other gods that men have created in the world. So when Jesus says, Ego I me, he doesn't say I am who I am, but they translate it slightly different. He says, it is I. What he is essentially saying is he is alluding to the fact that he's God. No beginning, no end. Came down out of heaven, etc., etc. And the disciples seemed to get it. They seemed to get it in the boat that night. And thereafter, there is a change in them as if they had gotten saved. At that point, ego, I, me. Okay? Frame that, freeze it, don't let it go. Now let's fast forward to the next scene in the life of Christ here where he's at Gennesaret and um, he preaches here on the bread of life. I want you to... <clears throat> Start with me in verse 22. Just kind of follow along, and I want to, I'm going to read a little bit here. So, um, the next day the crowds stood there on the other side of the sea and saw what was happening there. And I'm going to move kind of through this in little places um, that are different. So, verse 23 says, They came to the other boats, and Tiberias was near to the place where they were, ate the bread and the Lord had given thanks. So they're kind of referring back to that. Then in verse 26, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, you seek me, but because you saw, you, because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were fish, and the fishes and were filled. In other words, he sought, you sought me because I fed you. Not because of the real reason of who I am. Not because I am God. You sought me because you could get a free meal, and that's why they came again. Because you were getting healed, and so forth, and so on. So, down in verse 28, it says, Therefore they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in him whom God has sent. That would be Jesus, wouldn't it? You see the gospel coming out here in a sense. So um, they said to him, what then do you do for a, a sign that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Verse 31, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. That's bread, by the way. Bread, keep in mind what Jesus had done on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gave you the true bread out of heaven. And then 
he smooths down into verse 34. Then he said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. One of them said that. And then Jesus answered in verse 35, verse 35, and said to them, I am the bread of life. I am, that's the ego, I, me, in the Greek, the same as Jesus said to the disciples, the same as God said to Moses. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, and you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now keep following, keep following. So he continues to talk to them there. And in verse 41, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? They couldn't see how this could be really God. Now I'm going to speed up and go a little farther now, go up to verse 47. He's, we see Jesus talking back and forth with them, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 49, verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven. And again in verse 51, he says, I am the bread of life. So, in John, in John chapter 6, we have this amazing bunch of statements here about Christ saying he is I am. I am. He reveals his deity publicly here. He revealed his deity privately to the disciples. I am in the boat. And then they were, they were happy. But now he reveals it more publicly to the whole all crowd, how many thousand people there? We don't know. It was a very, very, very large crowd, I am sure. And he has these um, I am statements that we see of Christ in John. And this, in chapter, chapter 6, we have one, two, three, four different I am statements right there in that one. But it's not the only one. Um, I put the list up here because in John in John chapter, uh, in the Gospel of John, we have lots of I am statements there. Uh, in the second one, we see there's a total of seven different places where we see it. I am the light of the world in John 8, 12, he says. The world is lost in darkness. That's the implication there. And Christ offers himself as a guide. And then in verse 10, or chapter 10, he says the third one is I am the door of the sheep, chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Jesus protects his sheep. He's the shepherd of the sheep. And then in chapter 11, the fourth one is, I am the resurrection and the life. There, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 10, 11 and verse 25. Death's not the final word because Christ is the resurrection. It's what he's saying. That's who I am. Fifth one is found in John chapter 10, also verses 11 and 14. So Jesus here says, I am the good shepherd there. It's different than the door of the sheep, but similar. It's committing to caring and watching over his sheep there. And then in chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We all know that one, John 14, 6. Um, he's the source of all truth and the only source and only way to heaven. He is very exclusive. And then lastly, number seven, I am the true, the true vine, John chapter 15, the true vine. 
So if you're attached to Christ, you will be attached to the true vine and you will have sustenance. You will be taken care of. You'll be supplied and so forth. These are the I am statements that made the crowd wonder and now they are faced with the same truth that his disciples were in the public form as the disciples were in the private form. So Christ more than anything presents himself in this section here, right after what we have before. What took place in the feeding of the 5,000 in the boat was just a day or so before. And now this major discourse takes place here in um, John chapter 6. I, I just found it very, very interesting as I looked at all of this. And he's telling us that I, I am God. I'm the one you need. If you're hungry, you need me. If you're hungry, you need me is kind of what he was saying. Let me say, if you don't have Christ in your life, then you're missing something. It's a second-rate life without him. I heard Billy Graham tell a story about a, a man that went on a trip across uh, the Atlantic and transatlantic ship. And um, he was on the ship. And so he packed for the trip and he took everything he needed and he had in his luggage um, crackers and cheese and all kinds of tidbits to eat and he was on the boat and it takes about a week to get across you know and he was on that boat and he was eating all that stuff and he kind of ran out of food after a while and he was out on deck or somewhere and he smelled food coming from the galley or the dining room and he went down and looked and there was all this delicious food and so he went and sat down at a table and they brought him all this food and they were feeding him and after it was over he went over to pay for it and, and they said well you don't need to pay for it. It's already covered. It's already covered. He didn't know that the meals came with the ticket on the, on the ship, you know. But in, in a sense, that's the way some people live their lives. The ticket has been paid for our sin, and he's provided for us. But we're living on bologna sandwiches. We're living on dried bread, old crackers, moldy cheese and we don't have very much of even of that and we try this and we try that and it's just not the same but you don't have the fullness of life unless you have Christ in you the hope of glory amen amen, amen. so John's theme is Christ is God he is God he's not a God he is not one of many gods he is not a lesser than God the Father but God in human body. He's the very essential thing that you need. And as you come to the communion table today, you might think of that. That's, that's symbolizing something. So today is a communion, and uh, John 6 is, would you believe this? Would you believe John 6 is about the Lord's table? Well, it's not. I'm going to tell you that it's not. It's not really about the Lord's table. But I want to bring it up anyway because this is the passage that normally follows that. A couple of reasons why this is really not about the Lord's table. That is, the John chapter 6 is not the same as what we talk about when we talk about communion. A couple of reasons. First of all, there's no mention of a table, obviously, here. No mention of a table. And uh, the, nearness, the nearness of the feeding of the 5,000 by multiplying bread, fish, uh, only sort of half fits 
Well, in fact, how fits it? Well, it was really meant to fit when Jesus would have multiplied bread and grapes. But he didn't multiply grapes, he just multiplied, multiplied bed, bread and fish, didn't he? And then the Lord's table would not really be initiated until after Christ dies on the cross. So that hasn't even happened yet. It hasn't happened. He talks about it to his disciples, but that's not the Lord's table. That's Passover. And then that becomes the Lord's table just after that, before he dies on the cross. And then I think another reason is the purpose of the Lord's table was a remembrance, a remembrance of what Christ did for us on the cross. So as we come, we need to keep that in mind. Remembrance. So John 6 is a text that is not really about the Lord's table, but about faith and simple salvation that sustains us in that sense. And Christ is the bread of life. That's what John is basically saying here in all those other phrases that we put up on the screen. If you want to look them up, you can. But bread is a striking metaphor. It is a striking metaphor, nevertheless, that we see here in John chapter 6. And so yet when believers come together at the Lord's table, there is a kind of magnified presence, magnified presence here of Christ because we are together as believers. Now we're talking about communion. And there is some distant connection in that sense because it is a miraculous thing that Christ came and died for us. He came and died for us, and that's very clear. We look at these illustrations here. But it is the most striking metaphor that you could possibly use of these kinds of things. John chapter 6 is here. So bread is one of the images in the Bible that yields a picture of salvation history and biblical doctrine in a microsm, someone said. No wonder Jesus used it to speak of salvation by faith. Christ is the bread of life. Have you partaken of that bread of life is the question that I would ask you today. Or have you just kind of nibbled at cheese and crackers and uh, <laughs> bad bologna sandwiches? I don't like bologna sandwiches, by the way. Maybe it's peanut butter. It's not too bad, but uh, it isn't compared with what Jesus offers, does it? But have you eaten the living bread and drank the blood of Christ in a remembrance, in a symbolic kind of fashion? That's what we're here about. And I know the Roman Catholic Church teaches that when you eat and drink those things, they actually become the blood and the body in the person's mouth, even though it doesn't taste like that, it doesn't have that kind of feel to it, but they actually believe it doesn't. Believe it's because of a wrong exegesis and translation of those verses that seem to kind of say something that well how do you come to Christ then he is the bread of life you come to Christ as we said I think I mentioned this in the blog I like the little symbolism of the four P's by first of all remembering that there's a problem and the problem is our sin the problem is our sin we have sin we are sinners the wages of sin is death we're sinners by choice and by birth in that sense. And so none is righteous, not even one. And wages of sin is death. But there's also a provision, provision given us in the scriptures. Our sin must be dealt with in some way. And God did give us a provision. God is rich in mercy because of his great love. 
And of course, Christ came because of his great love and he died for us. He wants to redeem us. There is a provision for us. There's also a person and it is Christ. Christ is the person that is the one who paid the price. He died and paid that price for us. And it's very much pictured in Ephesians chapter 5 when we have the marriage picture where Christ is the the groom and then the church is the bride. And we really see that he died for the bride there on the cross, which is all those who would, of course, believe. And then we have the promise as if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have recognized that you are clearly a sinner and you're sincerely reached out to him and you sincerely prayed and, and in an attitude of repentance for your sin, found forgiveness in him, then you, of course, now have the promise that Christ died and was resurrected that all those who believe might have eternal life. We will all die physically, but there will be eternal um, life as we have a new resurrection body, as uh, we all know we kind of need that <laughs> sometimes. But it's a wonderful thing. So we're going to come to the Lord's table now. We'll have our men come to serve, and it's just a kind of a short little summary of some of what is in John chapter 6, and I'm not going to say any more about that. I just wanted you to see the connection between John 6 and, of course, uh, what took place in Mark chapter 6, which follows immediately what took place in Mark chapter 6. And while the bread of heaven was the discourse there at the same time, we very definitely remember that um, the communion table is not exactly the same thing, but there is some, some distant connection there because it's all about Christ ultimately, isn't it? So we come today, our guys have the, the bread and uh, the juice representing the, the blood of Christ and the body. And if you're a believer, you are welcome to partake of it. We do not police the Lord's table. We just remind you of what the scripture says in those areas and ask that you would observe. If you want to take it, you are welcome. Parents with children, know your children's heart, and you can deal with those there too. But we should be careful not to be loose with it as well. In 1 Corinthians 11, we have the classic um, instruction given to us there. It says, when he had given thanks, that's Jesus, he broke and said, he broke and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder. It's a reminder of what Christ did. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the, bre and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. A certain kind of proclamation this makes to those around us. If you're uncertain if you're saved or not, feel free not to take it. That's fine. Nobody's going to look down on you. Um, you're not here to be tested. That's why we want this to be very private. But uh, that's fine. Come to talk to myself or Chris or some of the other guys in the back. I'll be up front afterwards. Love to talk with any of you who have questions about those kinds of things and guide you through those decisions too. 
you are a believer and um, there's things in your life you need to do something about, do it. I pray and seek Him because you're already forgiven internally, but sometimes our fellowship is affected by that. It's good to pray and deal with the Lord. So there'll be quiet, some music playing during this time, and, and you can enjoy that music as you think about it and just do business with the Lord. And once those elements come around and you take them, you don't have to wait for everybody else to take them. Just go ahead and take them on your own. It's, it's, it's free to go then. Of course, put the cups in the little cup holder too. But let's pray as we bless, ask the blessing on these things and, and think about the great gift of Christ who is, in fact, the one who sustains us. The bread sustains the physical and Christ sustains the spiritual. Father, we do thank you for your grace. We do thank you for this um, rather long discourse in John 6 and how it connects with Mark 6. Mark probably left it out for good reasons. I'm sure he did being under inspiration. But it does tell us something and it's good to go back. And thank you, Lord, that we do have... We do have a Savior who is personal and He's real and He's come down from heaven and He is eternal. He is ego, I, me. He is I, am. He is eternal. He has no name because He is eternal in that sense. And we are so thankful for that, different from all the other gods that men have created of this world in one way or another. And as we take these elements today, may we just do this with a sense of um, great appreciation and humility, knowing that he died for us. We need to remember that every once in a while. We need to recall the cost of salvation and what took place on the cross. Bless these elements now and this time we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.